Y'all remain standing for a moment. Let's join together in prayer. Mighty breath of God. May we know that uh, your Holy Spirit is real. Jesus tells us the wind blows where it will. And we pray that it blows here and that you would fan the flames in our heart for your spirit, for your life, for mission, mission of going to others in our work and in our families and in the restaurants and the bars and the, the places that we hang our hat. That we live as we go to make disciples, to love on people, to know that it is good news. And regardless of where we are in life or what's going on or what is to come, we know the end of the story and we know what awaits us. I pray these your people would know that deeper and richer and fuller, that they would live by the power of your spirit, that your wind, your breath would blow through their lives. And you would always empower us as a church and we not look to ourselves or our skills or our efforts but to your Holy Spirit in Jesus name we pray amen thank you all y'all can be seated you can get your Bibles uh, if you don't have one Bibles that table and turn to 1st Corinthians I'm going to read 1st Corinthians chapter 5 verses 6 through 13 And then we're going to have some fun. Not like we don't always have fun here. I mean, you know, some of you are like, we never have fun. Or some of y'all might be like, we always have fun. Well, anyway, 1 Corinthians 5, what's most important? Chapter, uh, chapter 5, starting with verse 6, and I'm going to read through verse 13. Paul's writing this church and uh, set a little scene. They are kind of, uh, they feel real good about themselves. Uh, but there's a lot of sin in this church, just like there is every church, but in this church there's a lot of explicit sin, uh, a lot of sexual sin. We're not talking explicitly about sex today, so some of you might be disappointed. But it's uh, some, some bad stuff's going down, and, uh, and Paul's writing this letter. So he says, verse 6, Your boasting is not a good thing. Church is boasting about how great they are. Do you not know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? As that a little sin can... Mess up the whole deal. Verse 7. Clean out the old yeast so that you may be a new batch as you are really unleavened. For our paschal lamb, Christ, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the festival, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral persons, not at all meaning the immoral of this world, Or the greedy and robbers or idolaters. Since you would then need to go out of the world. You should underline that verse. That verse is going to be key. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of a brother or sister. Who is sexually immoral or greedy. Or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard or robber. Do not even eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging those outside? Is it not those who are inside that you are to judge? God will judge those outside. Drive out the wicked person from among you. I read this passage because uh, it's very key to the question that we're dealing with today. 
If y'all don't know, this whole uh, summer and really into the fall, we are taking your questions. There's a red box in the foyer. You can ask any question. Uh, We'll deal with it. We'll deal with it openly. And the question we have today is, uh, how would we, or how do you, how do I witness, to use a churchy word, to a non-Christian, to a non-believer? Or how would we connect to a non-believer? Or how... How would we relate to someone who is not a Christian? Uh, and actually, just to, to give you some examples, some other questions that actually tie into this question, I just want to read a few, and hopefully this will encourage you. Put any question in there. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll say anything up here. We'll deal with anything. A um, couple questions. Uh, if a family member is gay, can he or she be a Christian? Yes, simply put. This week, hey, that's a good week to uh, talk about that, but we're not anyway. But if you want to talk about it, throw the question in. Uh, How important is the Old Testament? Pretty important. It's in the Bible. Uh, Doesn't it teach the opposite of the New Testament? Well, kind of. It's um, really a different aspect of the gospel, God's justice. But you see Jesus in the Old Testament. If someone had a miscarriage in heaven, would the child be in the form it was during the miscarriage? Or what form would it take? Um, From someone who's gone through a couple with their spouse, I believe in the Psalms it says, you know, God knit the hairs on our head, he knit us. I believe I'll have three more children in heaven than I will meet. But anyway, these are questions, and oh, this is a big one. Christians and alcohol, why do they drink? Is there any scripture that addresses drinking in excess? Yes, it says don't get drunk. Um, So much emphasis on having that drink in today's world. Yes, there is. Uh, Raising adult children, are we responsible for their sins? No. How to deal with them as they grow? And they have made mistakes and bad decisions along the way. How do we handle their anger and resentment? Good question. When do they realize they should have listened? Some never do. Anyway, those are some questions that, but they tie into this big question about, you know, many of you out here, you have a sibling or a child or a spouse or a friend, co-worker, who would not call himself or herself a Christian and, uh, and what do you do? How do you, how do you, how do you lead them to Christ? Or, or how do you act around them? How do you share your faith? So, big question. But again, we're going to have some fun. So, uh, I've actually got two movie clips that I want to show. Uh, different types of movies. Uh, total is going to be about five minutes. So, I know it's hard. Bear with us here. The first one, uh, B, if you can go ahead and load this. This is an action flick. Uh, actually, James Bond. Y'all know I love James Bond. And so, uh, anyway, check it out. Okay, first, I'm real curious. Just see a show of hands. Who liked Bond the best out of the two? Not the clip, the, the genre of the movie. Okay, me, honestly, action. Uh, and Vacation? So kind of, I don't know, kind of tie there. I don't know. One more time. Who liked Bond the best? Let's see. Okay, Vacation. Okay. Fairly evenly split between uh, action and, and comedy, which is why I wanted to show both. And I don't know about y'all, I I like both, and uh, the reason, y'all know I love movies, but it ties to, like, how does this tie to this question about witness to unbelievers? Well, a lot of us, at least I do, and I know a lot of y'all do, uh, we'll go to a Bond flick, and we'll enjoy it, and that scene I thought was great, and I I think Skyfall is a great movie, however, uh, shoot them up, uh, killing, fighting, violence, action, some sex will be thrown in, you know, Bond, uh, and then vacation, 
you know, it is, you know, what you saw. Uh, if you've seen it, there is uh, comedy, much of it vulgar. Um, there is, uh, there's sex thrown in. So I guess, you know, the question that I wrestle with is, you know, we like going to these movies. And then you could tell, hey, we like going to some concerts, which people will flaunt, uh, whatever, that, that doesn't tie into things called godliness or holiness. Uh, we like going out. We like going to restaurants. like going to bars. Uh, we had a small group. Went to a restaurant and a bar Friday night. How do we live in this world? How do we... How do, we be, um, how do we be in this world but yet not fully of it? Which is what we're called to, to do and to be and to live in Scripture. How does that happen? And then, because if it, if it doesn't, if we're not in the world, as Paul says here, then we're not going to reach those who need to be reached. We're not going to make those connections. We're not going to build those relationships. How do we do so in a way that is, that is edifying, that is to God? to our church, to Christ? How do we do that? This question is, uh, is very, very near and dear to my heart. Uh, those of y'all who know me, um, I, I really, I, I would say I have the heart of an evangelist. And I'm not talking about what you think of as evangelism. And I mean, I love Billy Graham and everything. But I'm talking about going out into the world, the restaurants, the bars, the movie theaters, engaging people particularly non-believers, particularly someone who would call themselves an agnostic, particularly those who have doubt and questions and skeptics. I love it. And, and I love it because, honestly, they're a lot more real than some of the folks who claim Christ or who claim to be Christian or who go to church every week. Amen. She's like, amen, sister or sister. And not only that, though, you know, a lot of people in church are agnostic. A lot of people in church are skeptical. A lot of people in church have questions. You're like, not me. I'm not, I'm not talking about it. But I've known people, many, who go to church for other reasons. And, and maybe they'll throw the Christ card, you know, for the fire insurance or, you know, to get a good business deal. You can do that down here. But really, at gut level, heart level, not a believer. John 10, 16. Theme verse of this church. Jesus says, there are others. I must go to them. I really believe the call of the church, any church, particularly a new church, we don't have to call ourselves a plant church anymore, but it's to expand the kingdom of God, to go into new territory, to claim territory for Christ. What's that? Well, that is, that is homes, that is relationships, that is marriages, that is bars, that is restaurants, that is culture, to go there. And not simply to win it for Christ, but to be Christian. C.S. Lewis said it best. We don't need more Christian stories. We need more Christians writing stories or playing music or making movies, whatever, or doing business deals or trying to be in political office. So there was a, uh, a guy and his wife uh, who's influenced me a lot. I've never met him. Francis and Edith Schaefer. And they had a wonderful ministry. They were missionaries from America and felt called to Europe, ended up in Switzerland, and they just had a house, and they turned that house into a retreat for people who had questions, doubters, skeptics. So this place became a home for a bunch of hippies and backpackers and businessmen and CEOs that would come, and they would let them live there for free. They said, you just got to do some chores. And so, you know, 
I guess Edith Schaefer would make them, you know, sweep, you know, the hallway or, or make the beds, whatever. But they could stay as long as they want. And they could question and they could have conversation and they would lead Bible studies. And I, I love that openness. I mean, that's what I want our church to be, just to, to come and, you know, say anything, ask any question. We'll deal with it. We'll love you. We'll walk with you. That's who I believe the church is supposed to be and I believe it's what Bellwood is called to be. But we still have to, have to deal with this question. Where, where is the line? It's, and it's a very valid question. Because some of you may be repulsed that we showed bond and vacation here. I get that. I don't know. I know there are people who would be at other churches, maybe not Bellwether. But where, where's the line you draw, you know, between those who have a saving faith by God's grace and our, our relationship and how we act with those who don't? What's the line we draw from those of who are saved, who claim salvation by faith through God's grace? What's our relationship with the world? I mean, the wider world, the movies and the music and the culture and the art and the people who aren't Christian but yet do good works and do good things, who might be a sibling or a son or a daughter or a spouse. What, how, do we, how do we live? Awesome question, massive question, great question. We're going to tackle it in 20 minutes, right? Maybe 15. Here we go. Okay, first off, I really want to, um, I want to address something big picture-wise, okay? Because... Um, like big picture of the world and the art and the music and the, and the good things that maybe aren't explicitly Christian. Because you know what? I, I don't, I'm not a big Mozart fan. I mean, I think he's great and everything. Mozart wasn't a Christian, but his music lives on and, and you know, people the world over love Mozart. Maybe y'all do. Um, Monet, not a painter like some works of art. Monet, you can go to France and you know, look at his, his works. Not a Christian, but great works of art. Shakespeare. Big Shakespeare fan, actually. Shakespeare, not a Christian, but his literature lives on. So what's the deal? You know, all these great works, not explicitly Christ-centered, not explicitly Christian. And how do we, like, act with them? Do we just say, eh, you know, not Christian, not in Sunday school, just shove it off. A couple verses, and these verses are really key. First one is Romans 1.20. This will be up in screen. You don't have to flip to it. Just make a note. It's in your program. A couple of these verses. Romans 1.20, Paul says, Ever since the creation of the world, his eternal power and divine nature, invisible though they are, have been understood... Go back to Romans, please. There you go. Have been understood and seen through the things he has made, so they are out with excuse. Uh, this verse is uh, generally used, you look at the creation of the world, go to the beach, love the beach, look out, see the vista, the sunset, go to the mountains, the grandeur, Go to, you know, just watch a sunrise or a sunset or nature, God's creation. But also, human beings. The beauty of a human life, beauty of a human soul, beauty of an infant, a baby's cry. Beauty of someone that you love. A son, sibling, spouse, who may not be a Christian. You love them, though. I love them. The evidence... Of God's grace, evidence of His handiwork is, is all throughout His creation. This is what uh, a lot of folks, this may be too much information for you, but a lot of theologians call common grace, not saving grace. So before you start saying, is He saying everybody's saved? No. But that the common grace of God is so massive and so powerful that it, it is literally sprinkled 
throughout the world, throughout his creation, throughout the cosmos, his grace. That may be hard for you to grapple, but his grace is, is everywhere. In people, whether they call themselves Christians or not, in art, in nature. Another verse that had flipped up on there, Colossians 1. Colossians 1, 16 and 17. Powerful verse. In him, Jesus, all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Verse 17, key in on that, because that, um, that is a radical verse. That verse, if you think about it, will blow your mind. In Jesus Christ, everything, these seats that you're sitting in, this building, this city, the stars in the heavens, the mountains, the sea, everything holds together. Yes, Jesus does a lot more than just die on the cross for our sins and give us life forever. Everything in creation is held together by Jesus Christ. Radical. It's, it's, it blows my mind. I mean, I hope it blows yours, but you may be like, I don't know. Or you may be the agnostic, like, I don't care. I'm glad you're here. In Jesus, Scripture says, everything holds together. Even those loved ones, even those we know who, who would not explicitly claim Christ. Let me rewind. This is what I'm talking about. The common grace. Not saving grace, okay? When you confess and accept and begin to live and walk in holiness. Even that's a churchy word. Sanctification. But the common grace of God is everywhere. Creation and his people held together in Christ. Give you a, a quick story. I remember... Um, my wife and I were in Malawi on a mission trip. And we were out in a village, and they were putting in a water well, and we were driving back to the big city, and the roads were bumpy. And it was she and I, another brother who was a Christian, uh, not, from, not from this church, but from another church. And there was a British girl. And this British girl was uh, what we call an aid worker, uh, someone who, who does good works, not Christian organization, so she was doing these water wells, and she was helping us as Christians you know, drill a hole, dig water for the village, but not a Christian. So you're like, well, why would she do that? Well, she believed in, in good works, and she believed that everybody should have water, and she was committing her life to this. And so we entered into a conversation, and the other gentleman, who would be called an evangelist, said, are you a Christian? And she said, I, I don't believe in any religion. And he's like, well, why? And she said, well, you know, religions cause more destruction and conflict and death than, than anything. And, and really all of them have. So she said, you know, I, I do believe in some higher power. I believe in the goodness of every human being and every individual. And I feel led to, to help people who don't have water in these barren lands of Africa have a well in their village. Great work. Well, then the brother here, and some of you may really agree with this, and some of you may be in my position. I mean, he started like explicitly witnessing to her. Like, you know, don't you know Jesus died for your sins? Uh, don't you know that the gospel is good news? Don't you know that uh, there is a hell and it's populated? And I was like, brother, shut up, okay? And again, some of you would be like, right on. I don't know. I knew that was not getting anywhere with her, and it didn't. Because they got into a debate and, you know, it just kind of went downhill from there. Some people just aren't ready to receive the good news, agree with everything the brother said. 
But it wasn't the right time, and timing can be everything. And to me, at least, sometimes it is simply the relationship with that person and listening to that person and caring for that person and being there for that person, and God will open the door. Ultimately, the Holy Spirit saves, and we need to be sensitive and we need to be walking with Him to know the right time. But the common grace of God was shown in her life, that she, was, she had a heart and a passion to do this work. It's not saving grace, let me be clear. But the common grace of God was still there, just like it probably is with the sibling you know or the son or the daughter or the spouse, and you can see it. And I hope what I said could wake you up to see some of God's common grace and how powerful he is. That doesn't mean we stop. That doesn't mean we don't witness with our lives and with our speech and with our actions. It does mean God's already working in their life. They just may not already, they may not know it. But, what do we say? What do we do? I mean, explicitly with someone who is not a believer or not a Christian. I mean, how do we act? You know, this is, it's a really tough question. It's, it's a great question, tough one. I love wrestling with it. But we're, we're trying to have this balance between two things that the Bible says, honestly. First, a couple of scriptures. The Bible says, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, let's see, 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty three. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. So like if you hang around non-Christians or unbelievers... Won't that, like, infiltrate kind of into your head and your heart and your questions? Possibly. That scripture says that. Another one, Proverbs 13, 20. The companion of fools suffers harm. Yeah, go out to the bars. Yeah, party it up. Yeah, you know, hang out, you know. Suffers harm. And then Psalm 1, 1. Do not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path that sinners tread or sit in the seat of scoffers. There are wicked people out there. There are sinners. There are scoffers. Look, the people who probably, in all honesty, it almost pains me to say this, but that wrote the script for National Lampoon's Vacation are scoffers. They're making fun of folks. Saying that live. And my wife can tell you, I love it. And I'm trying to, like, quit it. It's making fun of people. It's sarcastic, which I love. Humor that is putting other folks down. And I'm like, how do we reach them? So that, there's that side. And then the passage that I read out of, um, out of 1 Corinthians, where Paul says, and again, verse 10, he's like, don't go out of the world. Stay in the world. This passage actually is telling them to explicitly kick people out of the church. Not going there, but he's saying there's sinners among you. You know, a little of that makes the whole body bad. He's saying, don't associate with them, but associate with the sinners because you need to reach them. So what I'm saying is there are these two things, there's these competing ideas that are going on about what we got to do with the unbeliever or with the non-Christian. So I would, I would say to y'all, well, please write these two questions down. I believe these two questions are key in how we address someone that we love or someone that we know and we're out in the world. These two questions will be, and I think you should ask yourself this. I ask myself this. I'm telling you all this is key. It'll change your life if you just think about these questions with your relationships. One, so you're a Christian, okay? First question, which way is the transforming influence going? You see what I'm saying? Like, are you really making an influence on that, that person that you love or you care about or you hang out with? 
or are they making an influence on you? Think about it. Which way is the transforming influence moving? Which direction is it headed? From you to them or from them to you? I think to answer that question, we'll we'll say it all. The second question would be, do you love that person for themselves and to lead them to godliness, holiness, a new life? Or do you love the things they enjoy? You know what I'm saying? Because we can, look, I'll be the first to say, 10 years ago, I said, or 12, 10, not 2, 10, but I said, man, I want to hang out in the bars, you know. I want to be with unbelievers. I want to go to the concerts, go to all these bad movies and watch these bad TV shows. You know, man, I'm, you know, I'm doing evangelism. You know, I'm doing the work of the Lord. Man, that is, it was just bull. I really liked it. And I enjoyed it. I'd enjoy that beer or a couple of them. Enjoy that cigarette, that smoke, honestly. And I said, man, I'm, I'm stout in my walk. I can go there. Cop out. Ask yourself that question, because I do now. Do I love those people because Jesus loves them and to reach them for Christ? Or do I really just, like, enjoy what they enjoy and, and want to be there? And use the gospel and use Christ as a cop-out. Two big questions. I'd, I'd beg you, write those down. Think about them. Where's the transforming influence headed? Which direction? Why do you love them? For them, for their sake, to grow them in Christ? Or because you like the things that they like? Some practical things real quick on action steps. You got a brother. You got a son. You got a spouse. You know, what to do practically. I'm going to give you a list, kind of a top ten list. So, tie to David Letterman. Tie to culture there. Don't know if he's a believer, but anyway. First thing, point them to Christ. All these will be on the screen. Point them to Christ. Because a lot of times the Jesus they know is not the Jesus in the gospel. It's not the true Jesus. Uh, it may be some, you know, some whacked out theory. It may be you know, a bad experience in church. Point them to Christ. Pray. Pray. Truly, I'll need to say, pray for them. Admit something is wrong. Or acknowledge something is wrong. Because if someone's far from Christ, or if someone is far from you know, living the life that, that you know they should live, something's, something's whacked out. Something's wrong. Something, something's not... So don't expect perfection. Admit there's something wrong in his or her life. And tie in to pray and tie in to point them to Christ. Fourth, and this ties into the third one, don't expect Christ-likeness. I, I see this over and over again. I, I've talked to many of you who, um, who, you know, have someone that you care about who is far from God, you know, questioning, um, bitter. And a lot of folks are constantly disappointed in the way they act and what they say. And look, it's no big shocker. They, they're far from God. They're far from a church. They're far from Christ. Don't expect this like saint-like you know, going on a mission trip, all that, that you want. It'll, it can happen by the power of the Holy Spirit, but it may not. And don't expect that because you're going to be continually disappointed. Fifth, welcome them home. And this particularly ties to a child, um, a spouse, a sibling. First, if they don't have that connection and they, you know, come home for, for dinners or for trips or 
Right? Just, just welcome them. Say, man, it is great to see you, and I love you just as a human being. Just welcome them home. And if they do truly come home as that prodigal son, man, love them, welcome them. Show the image of the Father. Six, and this is key, and, you know, man, I, um, I fall into this trap. Plead with them more than rebuke them. Big time. Plead with them more than rebuke them. It's easy to, to find the faults. It's easy to be like captain discernment on the negative stuff. But what about the positives? And plead with them to, to just be connected, to show them Christ, to tell them you're praying for them, tell them you love them, plead with them rather than rebuke them. Too often we, we rebuke first, plead later. Plead, then rebuke. Connect to other believers. I mean, I know, you know, everybody is... Some people just don't want to go to church. So, you know, hey, great example, Friday night. Our group went out, went to a restaurant, went to a bar. Connect them to other believers. They don't want to come on Sunday mornings. Connect them to people that will love them, that will... Help them go. Connect them any and every way. Respect their friends. This is big too. I mean, a lot of times, y'all know, I mean, the bad influences, the friends, you know, we put down, we talk about them. We're like, what are you doing hanging out with that crowd again? I mean, can't you, you know, they're, they're just going to drag you down. You ever said that? I have. Respect their friends. They need God's grace too. They need God's love too. They need the gospel too. You respect their friends, and I bet it would change the attitude of that person that you love. Take an interest in their pursuits. Say it again. Take an interest in their pursuits. What are their likes? What do they do with their likes? What are their hobbies? Just take an interest in their life. You want to reach other people. You want to go to others. Take an interest in their life. Love on them. And love them more just so they say, you just want to save me. You know, you just want to, you want to get me to church. We've got to get past that. We've got to really love on people. And that starts with their life, yeah, with their relationships, with their interests, with their pursuits, with their work. How's it going? Take an interest in them. And then last is the same as the first. And not because I couldn't think of anything. It's just it's the most point them to Christ. Just again, point them to Christ. That the Jesus they think they know, they, they might not. Might not be the real Jesus. Point them to Christ. Show them Christ with your actions, with your words. There was a uh, story, close with this and a couple of thoughts, but uh, a pastor by the name of John Piper, a guy I like a lot, respect a lot. Uh, his son, so preacher's kid, I don't know if this is going to go down, you know, in, in the Tate household. Hope it doesn't. But one of his sons uh, just said, man, I'm, I'm not doing this Jesus deal. I ain't doing this church deal. And... Uh, he said, he wrote a letter as a witness, as a testimony. He said, I really wanted to appear intellectual, and I really wanted to appear cultural, and I really wanted to appear like, you know, I've, uh, you know I'm better than all you church folks. He said, really, I just wanted to drink a lot of sangria and sleep around. And, and honestly, that is the case for a lot of folks. The sleeping around part is a big case for why folks just wouldn't go to church. How do I know? I, I talk to him. Like, man, I just can't like this sex deal. Sermon's not about sex, but it's, it's big in some folks' lives. And so he said, uh, you know, so I was drinking sangria and sleeping around and had a friend who was a girl, and one day she sent me a verse out of Romans, Book of Romans. And it just piqued my interest, 
So went down to 7-Eleven, bought a 40-ounce of, of some, you know, beer, some bad beer. 40-ounce, he said, pack of smokes, picked up my Bible, forgot the verse, so started reading Romans 1-1. He said, by about chapter 8, the beer was done, emptied the ashtray, and I was a Christian. He said, that was that. Okay, so, so nobody there, nobody witnessing. So, so what happened? He said, I can tell you what happened. At the right point, my heart was open to the work of Christ and his Holy Spirit. And he poured over my heart, and he began transforming my life. And I end with that story because the thing is, a lot of us want to save blankety-blank person. A lot of us want to, you know, you know be the saving deal factor in that person's life. And the truth is that we, we, you and I, individually, we can't save them. It's hard to, it's hard to swallow. It's hard for me to swallow. Thank goodness we have a God, a Heavenly Father, who is so bigger and so powerful and, and holds the cosmos and creation and everyone's life together. And He can save anytime what we can be, what we can be used as, is His instruments. His army, His beacons, His lives, people who go as they go in their work with their families, loving on people, showing them Christ, sharing Christ. Words, actions, we can be His instruments. And we as a church can live that out. And again, I I really believe the call of the church, but also the call of Bellwether, is to expand the kingdom, going into territory that is unclaimed for Christ. And that means go. That means as you go, in the restaurants, in the bars, in the workplace. I mean, we only come together once a week. You know, we got six other days. And as Dan said last week, that to equip the saints for the works of service, the ergon, both here in our personal lives, in our work lives. So I'd encourage you, uh, invite. I mean, invite to church. I mean, is this place, is this even a place you'd invite folks to? I know some of you definitely, yes. I mean, you invite them today. What about us old school folks that started the church? Are we, are we still inviting? I'm just asking. Or, I mean, is it a place that you, you want to invite people to? Is it a place that's, op- it, for me at least, this place is open to all questions, all states of life, you know, I'll say this, it's hard for me to say. I don't know if Jana Brown's here, but last week coming into church, I was like, Jana, I don't know, I'm feeling this, this conflict, this, this struggle, because I love June. It's, my birthday's on that month. It's a great sports month. Um, you know, I, I love the French Open. I love Major League Baseball. I love the NBA Finals. I love the College World Series. And this year was different. You know, and yet there was this like I told Jen, I was like, I don't know how I'm, you know something is wrong. I can't describe it. Something's wrong. I'm actually maroon. I'm 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 warning them to get it. You know, it's like shut up. Don't don't do this to me. Don't do this. I love Jenna. Yeah, go dogs. That being said, you've heard over and over again about the Ole Miss here, and uh, I was actually kind of rooting for state. So everybody's welcome at Bellwether. We love everybody at Bellwether. And then, you know, one other thing, you know, the, there are people you know that, uh, that just aren't going to go to church. Um, 
man, I'd, I'd love for you to feel like, man, I can, I can bring people here. I want to bring people here. And you say, you know, you say, well, they're going to be hungover. They don't want to go. Just tell them, man, there, there are lots of hungover people here. Maybe there's not, uh, but I, I'd love for there to be. You can say, John Hughes hungover. No, just kidding. Seriously, just seeing if you're with me. No. But seriously, like this is a place that I'd love two-thirds of this church to be questioning or skeptical. But it starts with us. I mean us. Not just me, not just staff. That we love on people. We believe that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is so bigger than us. And I do think we need to do some of these action steps. And God will work through us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your church. I pray, pray, pray. First, for those men and women uh, that we love, that we know, who are seeking and may not even know it. And pray for those that are here today that are seeking. Help them feel the love, the power of your spirit through this church. And dear Lord, uh, equip us by your spirit to, to expand your kingdom. That's what you call us to do. We can do that to our neighbors. We can do it in our work. We can do it if we've called to go internationally. And I, just, I thank you for that call. And I thank you that your, your common grace is already at work. And that we can be instruments of your saving grace. Touch us. Speak to us. Change us. By your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.